Hey guys, welcome to Not Just a Hashtag Podcast, presented by Trees of Hope. I'm your host, Nicole Escobar, with my co-hosts, Anissa, Kristen, and Mariah. On this podcast, we will be discussing the epidemic of sexual abuse, its realities, and the unfiltered ways in which it has affected all of our lives. We share our personal stories and how our lives have been restored. While this podcast is for everyone, we do want to let you know that we use several trigger words, and this is geared more towards adult audiences. This podcast is for anyone who wants to educate themselves on the statistics behind sexual abuse, signs to look out for, and how to prevent it from happening. So let's get to it. Hey guys, welcome to episode two of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. I'm here, Nicole, as your host, and I'm here with my three gals. Anissa, <laughs> Mariah, Kristen. Hey guys, so glad you're here. So today we are going to be talking about what is sexual abuse. So I have a basic definition, but what I would like to do is get some examples because This is where I had the biggest hurdle to get over when I first came to terms with my experience and feeling that and knowing that it was truly sexual abuse. And I don't know if anybody's listening to this and has come to the place where they don't know if they've been sexually abused. I hope that clarifying, defining it helps you. So the basic definition is forcing somebody to do something sexually against their will. But it goes deeper than that, right? We all know that. It's not just rape. It's not just molestation. It's so much more. So there's two types. There's contact and non-contact types of sexual abuse. So for contact, one that surprised me was forcing a child to make out or kiss when they do not want to do that. Um, The other one was holding somebody down um, and tickling them with force and doing it over a long period of time. So maybe one time and then saying no and the person jumps off, that's not sexual abuse. But it's when they continuously force the person to be held down. Um, Another one was touching a child or someone and getting aroused sexually from that touch. Um, And then another huge one was inserting something in someone's mouth, anus, or vagina. And Mariah, why don't you give some feedback on that one? Sure. I think um, the reason why Nicole asked me, because I think um, with my story, I was raped and it was through that person's hand. And um, coming to terms with the fact that that is rape was huge for me. Um, and calling it for what it was. Like I knew that it was sexual abuse, but calling it out as rape. And I will say, um, I love my family, but some of them still to this day don't see it as rape or don't even know fully the whole story. And so being able to say I was raped um, because it doesn't matter what object was inserted. It was inserted and you were defiled by that. Um, And it can be very painful. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of... And for me. because I know your story, I, I feel that I can maybe add a little something to that. It was against your will. Oh, absolutely. And you specifically tell me that on many occasions when we talk about this. Right. It's not like you were in a romantic relationship with this person and you guys consented 
and said, let's do this together. It was something that you were drunk. Mm -hmm. You were put in a situation where you could not even say yes or no. Exactly. And then on top of that, even if you were saying, even if you were whatever, you were like, no, stop, get Mm -hmm. off me. And he didn't do anything. So, you know, one other thing I want to add to this that I think it's overlooked a lot, and maybe Kristen, you can give some feedback on this, is uh, a lot of people don't realize that sexual abuse can happen in the context of family unit, um, so incest. It can also happen in a dating relationship and then in a marriage. And just an example of that would be if you are in a marriage and your husband or somebody is saying, I'm forcing you to have sex with me um, because you have to honor me in that way or you have to, you, that's what a wife or a husband would do, that's sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Because you're getting forced to do something against your will, your, you know, your, what you desire for your sexuality. And... Um, and, you know, I just, I, I, that was a hurdle for a lot of women who come to our program to get over because I know women are getting raped in their marriage. Marital rape yeah, is marital actually rape. A, a definition. Yeah, right. Well, and I think if you, again, a lot, of, a lot of times I'll go back to just the idea of a healthy relationship and that requires freedom and choice. Um, when anything is an, um, forced upon someone else, you're no longer in a healthy relationship. It's not that that, um, that that relationship cannot be worked on or healed, but it's not healthy. Yeah, that's so good. That's so true. And um, so another aspect to all of this is that a lot of people think that it's always an adult on a child and then that sexual abuse. But I would take it a step further and say that it's an adult on an adult, adult on a teen, adult on a child, and then child on child, teen on teen. So it's not just happening with, it has to do with power control. And I would say that a lot of times before even sexual abuse happens, the boundaries of emotional boundaries and psychological boundaries have already been crossed. So before any type of um, touch or contact happens, even sexually, because a lot of times people who sexually abuse don't necessarily have to have sex. They're doing other things to get the pleasure or the satisfaction from that. So um, yeah, that's a huge one. And um, one of the things I, I think I mentioned in the first episode that I was... I had to get over the fact that, or I had to believe the fact that I was sexually assaulted when I walked up to a guy's car to give him directions and he was masturbating to me. When I say that, everybody gets like, <gasps> but for some reason, that was a huge one for me to get over because there was no touch involved. So non-contact forms of sexual abuse could be masturbating, watching somebody take off their clothes, forcing a child to bathe naked in front of you, making somebody watch pornography without their consent, and then showing a child pornography before they're old enough to even see it or without consent. But how can a child make consent? You know, these are the things that we just want to mention. Like when a child sees pornography, they can feel so many different things and it literally will awaken a sexuality that was never meant to be awoken at that time. So, not only that, but the most perverse sexuality. So it's not even... Because for me, with exposure to pornography, I was 14 when the older guy I was dating would put porn on. We would 
be by ourselves in the living room and his parents they would never know that we were there but he would put on pornography while we were making out and so that was my first exposure to sex see um, I never learned about sex in the proper context from my parents they never talked to me about that so the first time I was ever exposed to anything sexual was within the very perverted bizarre world of pornography so not only is it awakening something within you you're seeing sex in in the wrong context and very violent sexual images that's your first exposure it's not between a a a loving husband and a wife you're watching degrading acts being done to a a woman or a man Mm -hmm. so that's so true all right, and then the other thing we want to talk about that is an element to sexual abuse or assault is force. A lot of times people think that in order for someone to be sexually abused, they need to be like pushed or forced into doing it by, um, well, I'm making you do this. But a lot of times it happens through manipulation and threats. So somebody may ask like, well, why did you let them sexually abuse you? Well, they may have been threatened that if you speak up about this, I'm going to kill you or your mom or your dad. So that's why a lot of people freeze. That's why they don't speak up. That's why our reporting records are low, because a lot of this can contribute to that. Well, and two, sometimes there's not even direct threats. It's just the the relationship itself has a level of intimidation to it, particularly um, with someone in authority that's abusing someone um, who is younger than them, who is not in that same authority. There's an inherent threat in that without even anything being said. Yeah, that's so true. You know, the intimidation factor. And there's a whole lot of manipulation and what is called grooming as far as, you know, before, many times before um, sexual abuse and um, even happens. Can you give a, like, dictionary definition of grooming or anything close to what grooming is? Yeah, um, sure. I actually can give examples if that's okay because I do better in examples. All right, so the grooming process kind of looks like this. It's identify and target somebody. Then it is creating a trusted bond between the two people. Then it's playing a role in their life. So um, if I stop there and then start giving the examples, so let's say a coach, they identify and target um, a person, a kid, a child who's coming from probably like a broken home, who struggles with um, secure insecurities, who doesn't feel confident or vice versa. They are coming from a great home, but are kind of like they he, the person can tell that their parents are not involved or whatever, absentee parents, um, broken home, whatever. They're t- identifying and target a specific person. Then they are going to gain access to this person through something that that child likes. So build a bond with them. So if they're into sports, they're into sports. If they're into music, they want to go to take them to music concerts. If they are somebody who um, wants, who's, who's interested in school, um, algebra, they're gonna become the brightest algebra teacher ever. Then they're gonna play a role in this person's life as in um, they're a trusted confidant. They are a trusted friend. They're so close at this stage because at this stage, the person has already shared so much with them. They've related on so many levels. They understand where that child's coming from. They've been a safe place where that person, child, whatever, can share secrets. 
But then at this stage is where there's a secret relationship that's forming and they're telling everybody else, well, the predator or the person who's trying to sexually abuse is telling the kid that they're trying to sexually abuse. The people in your life just don't understand our relationship. And gifts may be added in at some point, um, alcohol, drugs, something like this. They're creating that relationship. So then the next one is where um, the sexual or touch will happen. And then that touch will happen. And it could just start off with just touching a shoulder, smacking on the butt, grazing their breast, hugging longingly. And then it slowly, gradually turn into full-on touch or sexual abuse of some sort. And then at that point is when the um, person who's perpetrating will control the relationship by saying, if you tell anybody, I will tell on you. Yeah, and I think it's important even to um, recognize that grooming doesn't have to just happen with the actual person they want to abuse. They normally also groom the people around them, their parents, their exactly. the people that know him, them, so that if the victim does say something, their character is discounted because, oh, they would never do that. Like, they're a, a high-up person in the community. They're so giving. They give money. They, you know, they're cool. Like, it would be never them. And they do that on purpose right. to create a, a sense of security so they can get what they want. That's so true. I mean, every person who comes out nowadays, when you hear their story of, like, for instance, the gymnast guy that just got... The doctor. Th- well, yeah, maybe that guy too, but everybody, all the employees were like, we saw no red flags at all. And and I'm like, well, what were you looking for? The red flags you were looking for was most likely, was he raping or molesting a child right in front of your face? Mm-hmm. Well, the red flags I'm looking for are, is he praying, um, spending inappropriate time around children? Is he having private relationships with people that he shouldn't be having these relationships with? Is he asking parents to step outside of a room? Is he asking parents to come in the room and then putting blankets over the child while he has his hands underneath the blanket? Like, these are the red flags. Is he asking a nurse to step out of the room? You know, it's not just a red flag that it's like a parent mm-hmm. red flag. Like, it's really apparent to everybody. Like, oh, he's sexually abusing. Well, what's hard, too, is I think grooming with all the documentaries, too, out on Netflix, which I'm definitely not advocating seeing them because they are traumatizing. But even the Michael Jackson documentary where these two victims give a recount of everything and even the parents are a part of the documentary and it seems so common sense that grooming was happening but while they were in it grooming is essentially just preparing someone for something and victims don't realize the majority of the time that they're undergoing this really calculated thought out process from this predator that is upset thinks about this so thoroughly so the scary thing with grooming is no one knows they're being groomed or you know it takes them a long time or someone has to step in and show them what's happening yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that hindsight's always twenty twenty. Um, I was being groomed by one of my bosses 100%, and looking back on it, I was like, um, now I know he was grooming me, but when it was happening, the steps that were being that were taken were I was getting offered great job opportunity, a raise. I was, um, you know, I had I had a little bit of power and respect when it came to employees. Um, I was favorited. I he you know he always complimented me, took me into. But looking back now, I'm like he was such a predator. Mm-hmm. Like he all he wanted to do was get me to a vulnerable spot, 
and do whatever he could. He wanted to break down my barriers, my standards. My boundaries were crossed mentally and emotionally, and I, I allowed him to do that. So the number two question that we'd like to answer today is how does being a victim of sexual abuse affect our family and friends? So I'll start off with just saying that, you know, when you are, when you have been sexually abused, you have a wound that people cannot see. So if you had a broken bone, people would see that and they would say, hey, you know, we know, we know that healing takes a while, you know, recovery, you'll be okay. Like we're, we're here to support you, whatever you need. But when you have sexual abuse happening, the healing could take forever and everybody's different. So what may affect me may not affect somebody else, um, no matter the severity of our abuse. So it's up to me as the victim to communicate to the people around me that I love, like, for example, my husband and my friends, if I'm going through something or I'm feeling triggered, to communicate that to them and say, hey, this is, this is something that bothers me. And something I always say about my husband is that he's always remembers that I have this mindset of, you know, sometimes being triggered by certain things. And he reminds me, I'm a safe place, babe. Like, it's like, don't worry, we're all good here. And sometimes I feel so cheesy when he does that. Like, I'm a strong girl, you don't need to tell me that. But it's literally, I need it in that moment because I'm at that moment, he sees it in my eyes that I'm like, we shouldn't be touching like that, you know, kind of freaking out. And he's like, this is safe, I love you. Oh, yeah, that's not cheesy at all. And I think too, as... A victim and then survivor of sexual abuse a default mode is guilt and shame and that's a lot of times why I never reached out even after I went through counseling it was because I didn't want people to think like oh my gosh this girl like what more does she need I, I felt a lot of shame and almost needing to be reminded of my healing and my growth and just the progress I made I didn't want people to think that I was this really ridiculous person I allowed myself to feel so much guilt and shame for being triggered because it's like I've gone through counseling and I'm supposed to be this whole healed person that can you know withstand seeing or hearing or being touched in certain ways and it won't bring me back to different times in my life that's really good Mm -hmm. I think for me there's like a couple different ways that it can affect family and friends. There's how you now deal with the pain and maybe your responses of just like being raw. If you're going through healing, I was just so raw and finally feeling everything that I needed to, which is scary and reason why people don't go there, but it's worth it. Um, And sometimes my friends would get the backlash of whatever's coming at them. And then some of them will be hurt by my withdrawal and not knowing how to let people into something that I've kept secret for so long and have learned to to suffer by myself in it. Um, But also my family, especially my sister, who's like part of my heart, when she, she had just as much trauma in the sense of like she had her own trauma like seeing me the way I was and knowing what happened and feeling that she could have protected me and she wished she would have. And even in the childhood sexual abuse experience, she was like, I wish I could have helped you. I wish I could have, I wish I would have done something for you. And she's like, but I was a kid too. And I had my own issues. So carrying that now, 
she literally has to go through her own healing and 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 that sense of like you know the hurt and the the thing that being transferred and then just um how having those people in your life that like I don't know what to do and then you not knowing how to tell them what you needed and then you also get resentful that they don't know or they're at least not trying to understand and so then you pick and choose who you tell your story to only the ones that know gets to know only people who understand gets to hear my story and it also it isolates them from your story and all they want you they want to know they want to help you the ones that love you so it's just this like you said this battle that's going to go on for a while and you have your ways of responding with even some of it out of your control so it definitely affects your family and friends and for in my case because my abuse was was in the family it separated families it broke families and some families don't want to talk about it. They don't, they want to sweep it under the rug. There's too much shame and embarrassment. And then some is like trying to stand up like this is wrong. Um, and so then t- people are split mm. and then it's never the same. Yeah. So, And that's definitely going to be a topic we're going to hit here yeah. is the dysfunctions of our family and how they communicate with us in, in regards to sexual abuse or trauma in the family. So the third question uh, we're going to answer is, what is the importance of knowing and sharing your story? I think um, I want to comment on this one that um, I think that, you know, there's a big difference between knowing your story and really understanding your story. Um, So many people can um, recount what has happened to them, but understanding what the impact of what happened to them, understanding the impact of it is a whole different thing. And so that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important to know and then eventually to share your story. And the sharing your story part of it, I think um, a couple of things, it brings it out into the light. Um, you know, when things are in darkness, and I know that we, we talk a lot about this, I think, you know, um, nowadays, TED Talks and so forth. But when things are in the darkness, um, I mean, think about something that's trying to heal, right? When you have a wound or something Um, left in darkness or covered up too long, it can kind of, it can get infected. It can fester, that kind of thing. When you bring things out into the light, like um, your story or what's happened to you, there's a chance for healing. There's a chance for light and for hope and for truth to come out of that. Um, People are able to connect to you. You're able to see that people still accept you. Um, despite your story or despite things that you may feel ashamed about because the reality is is that there is no reason to be ashamed for what's happened to you but the unfortunate part is within sexual abuse um, there's so much shame that ends up being tied to it um, because of of the nature of of what's happened Mm -hmm. you know because of what was communicated while it was happening because of the grooming that occurred that you didn't see I mean all of those details add to it you know, and because sexuality is such a sensitive thing, it's a, it's supposed to be something that's protected. Um, and so when it's when um, something happens that violates that, then that's you know another thing that adds to the shame. So I think if I go back again though to the difference between knowing it factually and understanding it, two different things, and that can take time to 
be the difference between just recounting it and truly understanding the impact of what's happened. Yeah. And, you know, for me, that was my thing. You know, I knew what had happened to me, but I minimized it to death by saying, oh, well, it was experimental. You know, it, it possibly was this. It po- you know, I had an instance where somebody touched me and I never called it sexual abuse. And that's why I think terminology is so important. And what we hate labels nowadays. We're like, no label, no label. Um, but I think it's important when it comes to sexual abuse to be labeled as I am a vi- I was a victim of sexual abuse. I'm a survivor. I'm a whatever you want to call yourself. You all know I hate that word survivor, but I do love the word overcomer and warrior. Not really. I don't like warrior. No, I don't. Um, but I, I think it's important because that's the way that I define what's happened to me and I walk in truth in that by saying when somebody comes at me and says oh hey Nicole I I remember that time period and that wasn't sexual abuse that you know that was um experimental or saying things that I've already told myself a hundred times I could literally go 10 steps backwards and be like oh yeah that's right it is experimental but if I know what I the terminology for what's happened to me and I'm, I'm standing strong in it I will be like no that's not, you can't tell me what has happened to me. I know what's happened to me. And then sharing my story just is so therapeutic. I mean, just the other day, I went online and I shared with all my Facebook and Instagram people, and I've never done that. I almost felt like I was jumping on a bandwagon a little too late, but I don't care. Like, I wanted to add that because I needed that for myself. And if anybody thought that, like cool for you but what happened with me was it set me free on another level and it set me free with my family with some of my close friends who for some reason just didn't know that story and I almost felt like I was living two lives the one at work the sexual abuse thriver girl and then the one online who is just this like you know strong woman who's nothing's ever happened to her to make her you know faulty And I'm glad I did that, you know, so I just empower and encourage any woman or any person really to share your story um, because it's the first step for healing for sure. And I think the important part about that too, it's, um, thank you for sharing that, Nicole, um, is I think that is knowing when you're ready because the reality is there's, there are some times when it is too soon. Um, especially if you haven't already started down that road of understanding more of what's happened and the impact of it. Um, and I think it's also really important too of who you're going to talk to, because for some people, it's going to be a story like what you're saying. And, and I think your situation is somewhat unique too, because of the role that you're in, Yes, you know, you're in a, you're in a leadership position, um, Adam specifically at a ministry that um, works with survivors of sexual abuse. And so I think for some people, um, it's not necessarily going to be as public, you know, but it depends. Each person's different. And I think it's this. So what's so important is just really being authentic to yourself, you know, to who you are and what you um, what's going to be valuable to you. But I just do want to just kind of caveat that just to be cautious you know, um, as you go along in that process, you need to start out with someone that you believe is trustworthy and safe, you know, to share with. Yeah. And I would probably just second that, that I'm speaking exactly from a place where I have to, the more I speak about it, the more, um, the doors open in the, what I'm doing here at the organization I work for. But I also want to mention that 
sharing your story is it's you regaining power and strength and the when and the how you do it is in your terms and nobody should ever force you or tell you when to do that because then you're going to be re-victimized all over again Mm -hmm. so yeah totally i'm with you guys on that (laughs) so okay i thought this was great what do you guys think oh we're done (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's how we're ending it (laughs) yeah (laughs) It was perfect. I, I think it was really No, perfect. we're not. And we're still in it oh. right now. Like, oh. <laughs> You're in the matrix. We're in, you guys, sometimes you just have to be like free. I thought you just, sometimes you just have to be free. I'm sorry. I thought you were like, how did you think that went? Yeah, that's how I thought too. So, so how did you guys think that went? How did you guys feel about that one? I'm excited that we're starting to talk about defining what is sexual abuse? Because I think it's going to put light bulbs in people's minds of like, oh my gosh. Because once you can realize this was sexual abuse, then you it gives you an explanation of why you have been the way you have been and why you have hard times with certain things and why you may be closed off or why you don't like to be touched. Um, instead of feeling like a crazy person that there's something wrong with you, you can realize that, oh my gosh, there's some deep-rooted thing that can be healed and this doesn't have to be how I identify myself or the way I live. And then um, understanding how it affects your friends and your family is important. Yes, it is your story and you should be able to feel exactly the way you need to feel. But understanding that one, it's going to help when you healing is so necessary for your marriage, for your family, for your friends, but also yourself, absolutely yourself. And in like what you were saying about um, telling your story, for me, like I have seen people tell it too soon and then with the wrong people and then and then they say those things, which we'll get more into those comments that actually spin more in your head than the actual abuse at that point. Um, and then also people that aren't safe that also, oh, they're a victim. Okay. So then their boundaries are down. I can take advantage of okay. them. I just really don't want to interrupt you, but everything Mariah is saying verbatim is what happened when I shared my story in detail, which was another, I shared with the wrong person. I shared in detail and that was exactly what he did and not to put christian schools in a bad perspective but he was he textbook definition of the safest person possible he should have been on paper he was a chapel intern at a christian university and he asked for my testimony so he phrased it in such a safe way and i hadn't healed at all yet and i didn't understand my story like christian was talking about at all i knew what had happened to me but i didn't understand it so i shared in detail with him and it was that, that he saw, I'm not a person with strong boundaries. And she walks with a limp behind everyone, essentially. So I was easy prey for someone who was a predator. And he jumped on that. And he sexually harassed me my entire freshman year of college until my roommate stepped in. So exactly, exactly what Mariah is saying about sharing too soon in detail, wrong person, and having that person then look at you and realize okay this is a a victim someone who operates within the position of a victim and is easy an easy target yeah and i think if you don't have anyone if you feel like the world is a scary place because that was there then 
your counselor, man, just they're safe, you know, they're unbiased and they have the skills of understanding and um, helping you with the layers and helping you even grieve things you didn't realize you needed to and ways to even have tools to go back to those memories and rewrite them. And, um, you know, so please, we have an in-house counselor, Kristen Torres. Um, so you're welcome to, to contact um, we'll have information for you, but we also have resources like the RAIN um, website and um, it's RAIN.org. They have um, a phone number you can call. It's 800-656-HOPE. Um, and you can also live chat. So even if you feel like you can't talk about it, you can literally chat text to them, which yeah. sometimes And too, with yeah. counseling, people are like, oh, that's too expensive. Nothing is worth your mental health and your emotional health stop getting your nails done stop getting your hair done put put money towards something that you know is is so detrimental because I'm the type of person I'll put everything on the back burner and say it's too expensive it's too expensive and that was my big thing for counseling too you can cut out certain expenditures and make it happen because receiving healing for sexual abuse is a top priority or should be a top priority yeah and the number that you can call is free so I think it's a free online if you need to call um, yeah. the rain.org. So. Yeah, so, okay, that was awesome. Thank you guys for doing this one with us. This one I felt like was like life-giving to yeah. some people, you know, definitely for me. So uh, we will see you guys back next week for episode three. Bye. Bye.